0: Broadcasting live from an unlimited hat budget, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Gareth Straub.
1: And I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly.
0: And we've got some good old-fashioned rootin' tootin' Western fun to talk about on this week's main segment with the new Netflix original film, The Harder They Fall. But first, we're going to get in some news.
1: Starting off with the news that... Today, the Black Panther 2 production has officially shut down due to an onset injury of Letitia Wright. Uh, This injury, I believe, actually happened back in August, and they've been trying to continue the production as far as they could while she's been recovering after, I believe it was like a a stunt rig accident of some kind. But they've just reached a point where she still needs a little time, and I think they said that they are going to resume in 20 or er, january 2022 i believe
0: they already recently pushed back a bunch of the marvel slate anyway including black panther 2 so I wonder if this will just not even impact its release date or if that was already built into the recent delay.
1: Yeah, I I feel like considering the fact that this has been something they've been working around for a couple months now, maybe that was uh they kind of like did the math and did the risk assessment of how they were going to d- pull that off. So I I'm, I'm going to assume that it probably is, but I I have no qualms with the idea that they will push it again if need be. I I'm sure they're they're banking a lot on this one also considering the Black Panther legacy they have going on right now, and uh, what they, I'm sure, want to keep going for however many more movies, so, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm we're, we're kind of marveled out mostly, I feel like, we talk about that a lot, I'm more than happy with Leticia Wright taking her time to heal and be better, and for them to do whatever they need to, timeline-wise, with Marvel, I... I feel like I'm better receiving on Marvel stuff when there's been a longer time anyway, so
0: I'm I this is fine, I think. I mean there's a reason we're not covering eternals this week, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's fair, yeah. We're and honestly, I mean, I don't want to get too
0: far into it yet. I'm I'm pretty happy
1: that we did this one over
0: Eternals, the the harder they fall. Me too. Me too. But our other piece of news that we have is the long anticipated casting for the film Wicked, being directed by John M. Chu, starring Cynthia Erivo as Elphaba and Ariana Grande as Glinda. And I think that's pretty good casting. What about you, Seamus?
1: I actually have never seen Wicked. I I don't know much about Wicked in general. Um, I like Cynthia Erivo. I think Ariana Grande might be a little overrated, if I'm being honest. She kind of bores me a little bit, but this is kind of a... You know, Wicked is such a production that they're gonna make it so exciting and cool and interesting to look at, at the very least. And you know, I, I I'll go see this. I, I'll see. I would be more inclined to see this than like the West Side Story remake, which we were talking about a little bit ago. Oh,
0: certainly. I'm way more interested in this than the West Side Story remake.
1: Like just between John M. Chu doing it and the idea of you know wicked is popular for a reason i i remember the soundtrack being uh really good at least and you know i think it'll be fun it'll be that one that one's like a theater watch i feel like that that's more akin to that stage play kind of experience so i think that would be worth seeing in the with the big speakers
0: maybe to prep we should go see wicked in chicago shamus is that
1: just, like, ongoing forever in Chicago and
0: Broadway and stuff? I think so. My sister's seeing it in London this week, or already saw oh, it wow. in London this week. So I would I would go do that.
1: I, it's been... The last, like, big Broadway musical I saw was School of Rock, like, five years oh, ago in boy. Manhattan. And we just, like, got the sale tickets. Uh, you know how you do that? You just, like, go get yeah. the cheapest thing. And just to, you know, just to see a Broadway show. It didn't matter what it was, but it was still <laughs> really... uh. You know, plenty of cringe in that story, let alone the child actor Broadway version of it. So I think I think going to see Wicked would be fun.
0: Well, Ariana Grande I think has the right like bubbly fairy yeah, quality to her. I'll agree with that for sure. Even though she's not the best actor in the world, but and I... Cynthia Erivo is perfect casting. I think she's she's a little on the older side, maybe, but who really cares?
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be all good for her. I think there, there's going to be enough CG in this that they could they could do a they'll, they'll pull a little Vin Diesel subtle touch up on the back end.
0: Yeah, should we move on? I guess after that nice and short news segment to our main segment.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Let's get into our main segment. The harder they fall.
0: For today's main segment, we're going to be covering the brand new James Samuel Netflix film, The Harder They Fall, starring Idris Elba, Jonathan Majors, Regina King, Zazie Beats, Lakeith Stanfield, Delroy Lindo, and a bunch of other really good actors.
1: Yeah, this cast was so stacked, and you know, sometimes they bring together a big ensemble, and... So, there's a lot of out, overlooking and outshining but everybody really got like their great moments on screen even like the more or the uh, the less prominent characters i i felt so much for them in in a lot of these more emotional moments even though for the majority of this movie i was just having a bl- like a cowboy blast like everything was just like everything i wanted it to be and then when it needed to break down to the emotional stuff i, I it did not skimp
0: on it at all No, I was incredibly impressed with this film. And there are definitely things that were tonally inconsistent. I think it was a little long. Mm. But I thought it was really, really fun. And the postmodern recontextualization of Western tropes is, I think, the best. I've seen that done since Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead, like, 30 years ago. Yeah, man. It was,
1: uh, it was... It felt very fresh in a lot of ways. It's, It's got that history attached to it that is, I mean, we'll get into that later, but very much not a historically accurate representation. But it is a very well done kind of sandbox mishmash of what these people represented in the real world and how they're written is so well done, I. I mean maybe that was a, a, a also a big performance aspect of it all too because everybody was just kind of killing it left and right but thoroughly impressed. It, you're not wrong that there is some tonal inconsistencies as they were but I I was very satisfied with this and as especially a Netflix original I was I was desperately trying to f- remember the last time I was really into a Netflix original anything really and you know, this one is going to stick with me for a while.
0: And this actually looked like a real movie. In a way yeah. Netflix originals usually do not. They look like TV movies. Yeah, definitely.
1: I, uh, I didn't see uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I know that was like the last Netflix western thing. I guess that was probably
0: more of a coen thing than a Netflix thing. But that, that's one of my lesser favorite Coens, I'd say. I, I'm not particularly mm. impressed with that film.
1: So, the harder they fall over Buster Scruggs for you?
0: Maybe, actually. Like, I I would say so. Because
1: there are, like, moments in this that gave me that uh, tombstone-esque... It's not, like, a funny moment per se, but it's, like, a moment where characters will make you, like, take a step back and, like, appreciate the more jovial badassery that's going on instead of, like, all super hardcore violence or... All apple dumpling gang style goofery.
0: You know, I, yeah. I bring up
1: the apple dumpling gang far too often. It's because it's great. It's <laughs>
0: yeah, it's great, that's James. true. That's true. Well, I think there are going to be a lot of comparisons between this movie and Django Unchained, mm-hmm. not only because Black Cowboy, but because there's this whole like postmodern hyper stylized aesthetic that both of the films kind of share. But I think this film uses it way more effectively. Django Unchained is not a film I care for a lot. I think the actors in it are good. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think this uses that postmodern Western pastiche in such such a more effective way. And actually empowers its black leads in a way that Django Unchained kind of doesn't. Like there's still a lot of white savior stuff in Django Mm -hmm. Unchained.
1: Yeah, with all that, like, Schultz stuff
0: and all that, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so I really enjoyed this aspect of especially using real-life historical figures in this fictional story to really elevate that um, that part of the storytelling.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. That's a really good way to put it, where that—it's that pseudo-realism that is attached to the name— You know, the very intro of this movie is is reminding us of, like, the humans behind the characters, albeit not a very close connection in reality. But it it definitely, in something like Django, you can see a lot of that as the characters are the playthings of Quentin Tarantino trying to make a big bloody splash. But this, the characters feel more human on screen than what they could have maybe been if they were handled in a lesser way. Did you have a favorite
0: character, Seamus?
1: I really liked Cherokee Bill as a bad guy. For, for I w- I Honestly, I kind of wish he did more bad guy stuff. They kind of set him up earlier as, like, the big bad... I guess one of the big bad lieutenants of Idris Elba, and he kind of shows his dastardly nature. But I, I kind of wish we saw more of that. He's a very cold, mean kind of guy, and especially... I think the last thing I saw him in was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and he plays, like, another cold... I guess it's a very different character, obviously, but, you know, I like that he can be that more savage villain that will, like, break those rules, and I kind of loved it. But even Jonathan Majors, maybe I just am falling in love with him since Loki. I kind of want him to be in everything now. I I thought he was very charming, and... You know, especially, you know, as equally as bloodthirsty as he needed to be in a lot of the ways that when the climactic uh, gun battles were happening, he was still very likable as well as capable. So, I mean, I, I, I am a big fan of that. Idris Alba, of course, shout out. He, he's always, he's like my number one villain guy now.
0: Uh, he, he plays a ruthless villain, and I, I think he's great for it. Jonathan Majors is also hosting SNL next week.
1: Oh, no way. That is cool. That is very cool. He's gonna he's gonna be the most famous person
0: in the world, I think. I think he's really gonna blow up super he's hard.
1: Amazing.
0: He's really charming. Did you see De Five Bloods? No, I didn't even
1: know he was in 5 Bloods.
0: No, he's he's the youngest guy, obviously, in 5 Bloods. Right. He's so good. That that movie is full of so many great performances. Also, Delroy Lindo, who's in this movie as uh Bass Reeves, mm. I think probably should have won an Oscar for his performance in De Five Bloods. Um, Damn, I gotta
1: see that movie. That's a, that's a dark one. That's not a jovial watch, is it?
0: It's kind- it's- like many Spike Lee movies, it has moments of extreme violence and and disturbing stuff, but also it's really funny sometimes. <laughs> okay, I can get behind that. It, um, It's kind- uh, uh, that is also kind of totally inconsistent, but in a way that I don't think is a detriment to it. In the um, way that Spike Lee is famous for every one of his movies being weirdly exactly. totally inconsistent? And I think that this movie is very clearly inspired by the tone of Spike Lee. Regina King does that Malcolm X thing, like, in one of the first couple of scenes. Lots of of Spike Lee in this movie. I think there are... Let's talk about, I think, some of the influences that we picked up on before we move into spoilers. Because I already brought up The Quick and the Dead, which I think there's so much Raimi in this movie. Mm. Especially, specifically, The Quick and the Dead. The characterization of Jim Beckworth's character in this film feels a lot like Leonardo DiCaprio's character in that. The opening credits seem very good, The Bad and the Ugly to me. Oh yeah, for the... sure, with flashing all of their like
1: profiles with their name and their character.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love The opening that. Uh, introduction with Idris Elba feels a lot like the opening with Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West, whereas this, this traditional leading man is shown to the audience as a villain, which yeah. they aren't usually known for playing. No, I loved it. Loved it. I'm trying to think of any other uh, any other things off the top of my head that really stuck out to me.
1: Well, once we get into the old spoiler region, we're definitely going to be bringing up a lot more specifics about how we were talking about some of the more modern Western stuff, like the Tarantino's Django and the Hateful Eight and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely.
0: Should we move into spoilers?
1: I would I would love to here. It's a, it's a pretty long movie, so there's a lot of spoilers to to talk about.
0: Yeah. So final thoughts, I really enjoyed this movie. I highly recommend it especially if you like westerns.
1: Yeah, it scratches all the itches you need for that classic western and like we've been kind of bubbling about here, it it's not just a it's not just another western to kind of get lost in the shuffle the style the editing the the soundtrack my god really lights this movie up it it's a fully a full recommend from from both halves of the pop
0: culture reference team all right but this is your official spoiler warning for the harder they fall i don't where do you want to start that that little boy's
1: family gets murdered real hardcore i did not expect so... that <laughs> Oh, man, it the was The mom rough. first.
0: Oh, man, that's wild. I hate to bring up Tarantino again. <laughs> I really do, because you know how much I hate bringing up Tarantino. <laughs> but it did remind me a little bit of the opening of Inglorious Bastards.
1: Oh, sure, hell yeah. Just very, the the calm family home, kind of being invaded by an equally calm evil force that really shatters the, the calm of the other side.
0: Um, mm-hmm. And... It's a hard thing because, you know, you want tonally to make that introduction... That is the scene that the entire rest of the movie hinges on. Mm. It, Like all the best westerns, it's about revenge, right? Of course. And you need to feel the horror and the trauma that would haunt Nat Love for the rest of his arc over the course of the film. And so in that, I think it's really effective, but also... What a way to start this movie. Holy wow. Yeah, I mean, they do the the very beginning
1: and the very end of Inglorious Bastards in like five minutes to start us off. That's kind of crazy.
0: But I think it works for the film. I just do think that some of the violence is portrayed is really fun and some of the violence is portrayed as pretty disturbing. And that that is where a lot of the total inconsistency does come from.
1: Yeah, I can feel that. Like there, there are like those wicked gunfights in the town, and you know, ambushes, and really like every other death is in like such a cool, unique kind of surprising way. Like these kills are not just like your average gunfight. But then there's stuff like I don't know. I was I was I was groaning a little bit watching uh, Nat Love get his ribs broken by. Uh, Idris Alba just getting like completely pummeled, tortured wise. That was pretty yeah. gnarly stuff. Or, um, Idrit, I guess it's a lot of the Idris Alba stuff. Him knocking the gold teeth out of his friend's mouth with his pistol is, yeah, like making him cry, shoving the gun in his face again. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty, pretty tough.
0: It's basically when the bad guys do violence, it's super disturbing. And when <laughs> the good guys do violence, it's cool. It's like... Who would have thought, huh? Uh, Dion Cole is the, uh, the sheriff and mayor of the town who has turned on Idris Elba, and he's really, really funny, and really, a bizarre role that would be really hard (laughs) to get right, I think. I love
1: that, uh, they intro him with his, him, he's, like, practicing his speech to Idris Elba about when he shows up, and I think that was, I just like a fantastic because we only we really only see that guy for a couple scenes uh in that intro one and then like more towards the climax he he kind of comes back to help our
0: boys but
1: you know you kind of get everything you need to out of that guy in the short time that he has as a as a character
0: i think pretty much every character introduction in this movie is great yeah i think it they are it's so efficient at telling you who these characters are but also making them really memorable and cool At the same time.
1: Oh, yeah. A lot of these people, like, we were talking about uh, Magnificent Seven. Sometimes I don't even remember the shtick of some of the seven that are in that. But these characters were so individual in in what they were. And very fun to see kind of mesh with each other when it's just the the off time when they're at the camp or whatever. They're just kind of talking with each other. It's very, very fun to see that. I'd love to read the screenplay. Oh, yeah, that would be very interesting because a lot of the, you know, I'm probably assuming here, but a lot of the back and forth with these characters seem like they could have been just straight up improvised in a lot of ways, like the very funny reactions of of them just kind of razzing each other.
0: Well, again, going with that kind of postmodern pastiche we were talking about, most of the characters in this talk, contemporarily, they don't speak in like old Western tropes or anything like that. I think especially the scene where, um, Bill Pickett and what's his name? Jim are picking off the, the gang, the Crimson hood gang. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Another great intro to those characters.
0: Yeah. Oh, an, an excellent intro. Plus Damon Wayans. <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that's pretty great. Yeah. He's, he's just busting his balls about, uh, his quick draw versus Cherokee bill. And, uh, <laughs> their weird familial connection uh, to the to the Crimson Hood gang leader guy.
0: Well I think overall the two standout performances in this really are Licky Stanfield and Zazzy Beats. At least to me.
1: Oh, she was so good. I I thought, I, and again, I I hate to keep saying it. Her intro with the song that she's singing at her bar. I, I was jamming out to that I, for a little bit. I this is this has very like musical moments. This movie, I'll be honest,
0: there's there's a lot of moments of like song breakdown, and I like that. I like that music is so integrated mm-hmm. into this um into this film. I especially a song will end and uh, Jonathan Major's character will just like be whistling. Yeah, it. he'll just be humming
1: it under his breath. Very subtle. Very
0: very nice. The movie. The moment that really stuck out to me as, like, a musical moment was the night before she goes into town, uh, into into Redwood, right? Yeah, that's the name. There's this, like, really classically lit blue light, oh, yeah. moonlight sequence where she and Nat are overlooking the town and they're like having this like really intimate moment, and he's singing, and the music is behind him. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, is this just going to be a musical
1: now? <laughs> he's going to break out. Yeah. She's like, what does she say? It was like, it's like a truly like a very sweet, touching moment. She's like, once we're done, we're going to go our separate ways. But until then, I'm like right here with you or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a oh, very, very tender moment before another very intense part where she goes back into the town.
0: Yeah, again, going from cool violence to tender moments to disturbing violence to cool violence <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. And...
1: Totally inconsistent, keeping us on our toes purposefully. I don't know, I don't know.
0: I don't know, I think it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and that's, that's fair. That's, that's the key to it, because tonal inconsistency is only tonal inconsistency when it doesn't work, right? Exactly, that's fair.
1: Oh man, I'm just, I, I'm just trying to think back on more disturbing violence and one of the saddest and... I mean, pretty graphic to me. I feel like whenever anybody gets shot in the cheek, like from the front of their face in the cheek, that really disturbs me. And our boy Quickdraw just gets his face blown off when he's doing the cool. He, he, you know, carved Cherokee into the side of a special bullet. He's like really taking his time with the countdown. I mean, I knew it was going to happen like from the start
0: pretty much, but it was very sad and also very messed up. I was a little actually surprised by that because that is, like, this movie's, on the whole, seemingly so dedicated to kind of, not subverting, but to tweaking Western tropes Mm. that I was a little surprised that his telegraphed arc went as such, but I will say, you were saying that you felt like Lakeith Stanfield's character, Cherokee Bill, should have had more bad guy stuff to do. But I thought that it was a really interesting thing to see. You know, he had again another great character introduction on the train at the beginning when they're breaking yeah. Elba out, and he just slashes that guy's uh, like tendons in his in yeah. His legs. He just does
1: like a Matrix like quick slash in four different directions, and then he just like falls over.
0: And he talks about how he's like an honorable man and he abhors violence, but he'll do it if he has to, and all this stuff. And he talks the big talk, like the the whole movie about how he's the quickest draw in the west, and how he is this cool cucumber and all this stuff. And then at the end, he's a coward and a cheat. He shoots men in the back. He shoots like he is a, not a fair fighter at all. All the honor that he's kind of built himself up with, uh, ultimately, he's just a coward.
1: And that is reminded me a lot
0: of Count Rugen from The Princess Bride.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Just that, yeah. That actually, that is a good comparison. That talking the talk and then really laying out the cowardice when it comes down to it. I mean, and granted, the three big things of violence that I can remember are the slashing the legs, cheating the count with the quick draw, and shooting the other cool coin guy in the back. And maybe I just wanted more dastardly stuff because I just like him on screen, and I think that was always like... Perfectly evil, but then there are moments of like, you know, him not doing the initial duel
0: or him There are multiple times in this movie where he does essentially spare somebody's life.
1: Yeah, maybe but that's kind of
0: what I'm thinking of, but I think it's an indicator that whenever he feels like he's in power, he doesn't necessarily he doesn't necessarily commit violence, but whenever there's somebody that he knows is better than him, he gets the he cheats them, he oh, gets the better of them. Th-
1: that's what it is. He's, he doesn't have the Skill, scale, but he'll walk around like people think that he does. And then when it's challenged, he just, yeah, he cheats him. That is, yeah, that is pretty good.
0: Because Bill Pickett, who he shoots in the back, is a marksman, like an amazing marksman. Mm-hmm. And in real life, I think was a rodeo guy, a rodeo marksman. And I just, I think that's such a good, that one-two punch of him cheating the count and then shooting Bill in the back makes his come up almost immediately with Cuffy, who we haven't talked about at all. Oh, yeah,
1: she was great. And maybe, uh, because they do also, they sprinkle in a little bit of rivalry between her and Quickdraw, and maybe I just needed that little Quickdraw saga to have more of an arc of her, or at least, I don't know, maybe her beating him before she gets the opportunity to avenge him against Quickdraw, or at least... Quick draw! getting a single time he gets to really do that with
0: somebody more important than just like the Crimson Hood gang. But I think that's what makes, just like you not knowing Lakeith Stanfield is a coward before he shoots him, that's yeah. what makes the death so impactful.
1: God, yeah, that really did hit it me feels incomplete. Oh.
0: He's a young life cut off.
1: He is a talent. He does have these wild west aspirations he's like us if we got to be cowboys we're like oh yeah i'll do quick draw stuff i'll i'll talk smack all day and i'll, I'll brag and do cowboy things and
0: i like the idea that that um in your fantasy of us being cowboys we're like good cowboys and, good yeah. gunmen <laughs> and stuff.
1: yeah exactly we're not we're not doing the evil things we're like the we're like the robin hood cowboys who are like doing cool oh, no. social
0: stuff I mean that we're like competent. I mean that we're oh. actually quick draws <laughs> oh. and stuff.
1: Oh hell yeah! Yeah, what fantasy am I like actually herding cattle here, man? I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that
0: that gunfight stuff. Um, let's talk about the third act a little bit because once again, quick in the dead. There's so much quick in the dead in this mm. movie, um, which you've not seen, I but it not. really is present. Uh, they they we talked about Cherokee Bill's demise. At the hands of Cuffy, and then, of course, Bass Reeves and uh, Nat Love are going after Idris Elba's character Rufus Buck. But then there's our third storyline, which is Stagecoach Mary Zossie Beats going after Regina King's treacherous Trudy.
1: Yes, that
0: was a, a cool fight in the like
1: cloth dyeing hut of the town. A very a very fun showdown between them where they have to really you know use everything at their disposal and it's all it's all colorful and interesting the way they're using their very specific
0: environment for this fight yeah I really enjoyed I thought that was a really inventive fight that ended I thought weirdly prematurely and uh non decisively
1: yeah the, the conclusion was not there was none there
0: because she just hits her real hard and then she bleed and then like she is bleeding on the ground but that's it And then, of course, at the end of the film, the reason for that is they're teasing (laughs) maybe a sequel?
1: I think there's literally no reason for them to have ended it like that unless they have full intentions and maybe already a green light. Or I guess, you know, I guess they need a week before Netflix will give them the green light to see how they're doing. But,
0: well, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that there's a thematic resonance to having her come back that, Vengeance begets vengeance, violence begets violence, you know.
1: That's true. I mean, that's a a pretty big theme throughout this whole movie, especially because we were talking third act, and we kind of glossed over the James Bond, Spectre, uh, Metal Gear Solid, uh, soap opera-style secret brother twist that Idris Elba, uh, his character is long-lost brothers with Nat Love.
0: Yeah, which I think is a very interesting choice. Again, a, th- a more thematically resonant one, I think about, we're not so different. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, wait a
1: minute, Austin Powers is, is that twist as well.
0: Yeah, but it's talking about privilege and it's talking about how the different upbringings of these men somehow brought them simultaneously so far apart but to the same conclusion. And yeah. I I wasn't really. I didn't think the movie needed it, but Idris Elba and Jonathan Majors do such a good job at selling that oh, moment yeah. that it still resonated with me in a way that, like, Spectre Wright doesn't because it just <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't sell it. This is a quiet moment between these two men. Not at all grounded in reality. I don't. I think I read that. Nat Love never met Rufus Buck like they never mm. crossed paths at all but th- th- it yeah it it felt kind of out of nowhere
1: yeah they didn't really cuz they could have sprinkled in a little bit of you know a little clue here and there and maybe the intro where they are all sitting down at the table together but
0: well that in itself is kind of a hint isn't it though? Oh
1: I guess that's fair I guess that's fair um but yeah, it it does come out of nowhere a little bit, just in everything else. Even when there's like moments where Idris Alba is talking to other characters about him in any way that he could have subtly indicated that there was more going on than just a one-way vengeance thing. And but the, like you said, their performance, them looking into each other's eyes, both of them crying as they're they're confronting this about each other and themselves is very very well done and i was a little afraid for a second that they were gonna pull a a bs revenge story ending and it just be like he's gonna leave him or whatever to live in some way but they 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 very much don't do that and he unloads his pistol into his chest (laughs) yeah all six shots just yeah it, it I, I I liked how they, they handled that ending. Even though there was that emotional family tie all of a sudden, it, it was still a it was still a good way to end that Nat Love, specifically
0: his arc. I think it all comes back to what you were saying at the very beginning, Seamus, which is I was so taken with all of these characters. I was so invested and interested in their stories, in their quirks, in their monologues, in the mythic nature of Mm. the american western right oh yeah i was still on board through that because of all of the work that this movie had done to endear me to all of these characters and invest me in all of these characters for the rest of the runtime
1: yeah truly even when there is like an extra 30 minutes of like the the plot where they go rob the bank Oh, even, though, so even though, even cool, though I loved that sequence, about that. yeah, I loved that sequence in general. I think that they kind of go out of their way to put that in there, and I think, you know, th- there could have been a little more seamless of an integration for that specific part since it did feel a little long in the end. But
0: <laughs> the idea being that they go rob the bank at a white town. A, a literal white town where all of the, <laughs> the buildings all are of white. the buildings are white this the dirt
1: in the road is white it's all white horses and white clothes
0: I loved it I thought it was so like such a great production design choice oh, yeah. that could have felt really stupid but again the hyper stylization of this movie that just worked totally and the fact that uh Cuffy's wearing that, like, bright red
1: dress, too, is, like, that femme fatale going in there and getting laughed in the face by that teller and then just totally flipping the script. And fairly—they <laughs> mention it—fairly easily robbed that bank.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, I like that they didn't—it could, again, kind of like Django— It would have been really easy to just have that be a satisfying moment of, okay, we're going to massacre the racists. Yeah,
1: sure, sure. But they they just, you know, done very well where they still take him for everything they're worth, kind of take away all of that power, put him in the corner, shake the bank manager's hand like it's a transaction.
0: When the bank manager calls him sir, when (laughs) he's helping him
1: load the (laughs) stolen (laughs) saddlebags onto his horse. That's very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, I almost want to even say that that was a redecorated set that they used in Django. You know how that like one Western town, you can kind of see it in a lot of modern Western yeah. stuff. I think that might've well, been the
0: same one. I thought Redwood looked an awful lot like the town from the Magnificent Seven. Remake. <laughs>
1: yeah, I also thought that as well. Yes. I wonder so why they specifically maybe. didn't focus on that chapel as much. Hmm. <laughs> well, Two yeah, familiar. That chapel important
0: in the Magnificent Seven remake. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. I would watch ten more of these. I'll be honest, like <laughs> yeah. I just loved it. It
1: feels it, they could have made this a series, and I would have been hooked instantly for sure. I, I will, I will look forward to. Um, I mean, if people like it as much as we did,
0: I can guarantee at least one more sequel. So I don't think people did. From what I've been reading, most people didn't seem to be as onboarded with it as we are. I think they couldn't get past some of the stuff. But I think this works so much better for me than something like a Django Unchained. It really has a clear respect for not only Western history, but also, you know, the history of the genre of the Western and kind of reconciling the differences between those two things in a really interesting way. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's as classic as it feels fresh, and that is a great dichotomy to have when you're, you know, maybe taking a chance with a direct-to-streaming Netflix uh, movie like this but I, a kind of first time director too yeah from somebody who is very much not known I mean that cast how could you cover that up that's like one of yeah. the best casts I've seen in a long time so that definitely you know helps it along for sure but I, I would truly recommend this to anybody and I hope I I'm gonna I'm gonna try to turn people towards it, because so, if people are giving it kind of a bad name right off the bat right now, I would
0: like to counterbalance that in any way. No, I really liked it. I do want to give a shout out to James Samuel, who, in addition to writing directing this movie, is responsible like he's a uh, singer songwriter called The Bullets. That's his stage name, but he also hmm. did a lot of the work on the Boslerman Great Gatsby soundtrack, which. I'm not wild about that movie, but that soundtrack's awesome. Oh, hell yeah. That
1: soundtrack is great. I, I watched uh The harder They Fall with subtitles, and a couple of the songs would come on, and it was like, a blank song, the Samuel remix, or whatever. So like he personally awesome. did a, a lot of the uh remixes for this
0: soundtrack, I think, as well. I love it. Yeah, yeah he- I am very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I wasn't expecting it to be bad or anything. I was pretty excited for it. But, you know... I still it's just so invigorating when a movie is what you want it to be. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's as pleasant of a surprise as I've ever gotten from Netflix. So I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I'm I'm very happy with it. I wanna go watch more westerns right now, if I'm being honest. That like triggered something in me that it was such a good delivery of what I love in a western that I wanna go back to the the classics it reminds
0: me of. Get over here, Seamus. I've got Good, the Bad, and the Ugly fresh minted on Blu-ray.
1: Ooh, I've got the other two, which are good but less good on Blu-ray as well, if you want me to bring those.
0: (laughs) 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 All right. uh, Should we move on to our pop culture reference?
1: Let's do it.
0: For this week's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the historical context of The Harder They Fall. This week's main segment, The Harder They Fall, uses real historical figures in a fictional story. The film's writer and director, James Samuel, has spoken extensively about creating period films that center around women and people of color, and using real characters to further root it in reality and connect the audience with the real-life history. For example, the film's lead, Nat Love, was born into slavery in 1856 in Tennessee, and was championed for his shooting skills, cow roping, and horse branding. He published what is believed to be one of the very few full-length autobiographies of a black cowboy, The Life of Adventures of Nat Love, in 1907. And, conversely, the villain of the film, Rufus Buck, did actually lead the Rufus Buck gang in 1895, robbing, raping, and pillaging white and black communities alike. He and his gang were executed when he was only 18 years old in 1896. You can learn more about his exploits in I Dreamt I Was in Heaven, the Rampage of the Rufus Buck Gang.
1: There are some other works that can better inform the real-life stories of the characters portrayed in the film, including the real-life stagecoach Mary Fields writing her autobiography called Plain Girl, plus a book called Deliverance, Mary Fields, that focuses on Fields' time as the first black female mail carrier in the U.S. Cherokee Bill, The Other Goldsby, the sequel to a book detailing the life of Cherokee Bill's father, Sergeant Goldsby, and The 20th Cavalry is said to be the most complete story of Cherokee Bill's life ever assembled. Lastly, we found an LA Times article, What's True in The Harder They Fall, to be a really great, accessible, and fairly comprehensive resource for breaking down and learning about the different figures in the film.
0: Also, in 2013, James Samuel wrote and directed another homage to classic black western cinema, They Die by Dawn, that included many of the same characters in iconography of today's main segment, including Nat Love, Bass Reeves, Stagecoach Mary, and Bill Pickett. I, for one, Seamus, am definitely going to be checking out a lot of the books that we just mentioned because I had heard, you know, of Bass Reeves and Nat Love before, but even just skimming the Wikipedia of Cherokee Bill and learning about his absolutely insane real life story, his time in the Civil War, um, fleeing the Confederacy at Gettysburg and then enlisting with the union such a fascinating story and i really want to learn more about these figures
1: yeah that you were you were telling me about that that was like sending chills down my spine some of the uh details that you, you teased me with about cherokee bill but also just that uh nat love autobiography to have the right from the mouth of the man himself to be able to like hear his thoughts about what happened let alone recap some of the events that he was you know famous for what he remembered I think that would just be a fascinating read it sounds to me like we're gonna have to start a little
0: book club Seamus
1: yeah I would love that cowboy book club I'm totally
0: in but why don't we go ahead and move on and save the rec center let's do it
1: now it's time to save the rec center where we give you our weekly recommendations Garrett you want to go first this week
0: I absolutely do, because I want to talk about, uh, something that has a weird, even though you wouldn't think it, amount of connections to today's main segment, the harder they fall. HBO's Watchmen miniseries, the sequel to the Alan Moore graphic novel, stars Regina King, uh, who's in this film, as well as Danielle Deadweiler, Cuffy herself, and includes, at many points, uh, conversations and depictions of Bass Reeves. That, oh, no kidding. Uh, a f- yeah, no, it's great. Um, I really like that miniseries. I went in pretty skeptical on it. Uh, Watchmen, when I read it in high school, really changed my perspective on, like, graphic novels. Mm. And going and visiting this as a sequel truly to the graphic novel, it's a really interesting meditation on uh, the con- the contemporary relationship between uh, African Americans and police uh, currently going on mm. in the United States, as well as how that's connected on a deeper level to like Western iconography and its roots, which is something that Watchmen, the graphic novel, doesn't really talk about, but... It does a really good job of successfully continuing the story set up in Watchmen and bringing those modern themes into that story. Damn,
1: I yeah, that sounds fantastic. I've heard incredible things about that miniseries, and much like you, I fell in love with the book in high school, not realizing how well done something like that could be. And I am I crazy or didn't that didn't the Watchmen show get another season or is it like ongoing or is it is it strictly like a limited series
0: It's a limited series it wasn't initially announced as such but they decided that after the season 1 they were going to not continue it
1: Well okay hey if they wrapped it up well I I'm I'm very excited to check that out. HBO right I I know that much.
0: Yes, HBO, you can check it out on HBO Max, Seamus.
1: Hell yeah, I definitely will do that. I I, I love the book, never saw the weird movie. I know it has very little to do with that miniseries, but I'm, I'm just curious. But what do you have this week, Seamus? This week, I am going to bring up the fact that while I was sick on my birthday, my <laughs> only thing that I wanted to do was watch movies, so I watched five in a row all day, and it was fantastic. And the, the way I did things is I didn't plan anything ahead. I just picked whatever movie that I saw that I, I thought might be fun at the time. And I ended up re-watching the original Rush Hour with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. And if you haven't seen it slash haven't seen it in a long time, it is going to blow your mind. Because it is the wildest movie I've ever seen. It's the most contemporary, like, buddy cop movie I can remember loving to death and... It's just so weird. It's so bizarre. It's the most like racially motivated buddy cop thing that they're very casual about throwing around. As uh, Jackie Chan, character is from Hong Kong, and Chris Tucker's obviously a a black LAPD officer, and it is just, it's hilarious. And obviously Jackie Chan is an incredible athlete and stunt performer, so you get to see a lot of that and it's it's it will just shock you the amount of things that they could get away with in 1999 or whenever that movie came out but it is still it's a blast to watch either way so i highly highly recommend that
0: fascinating that is a movie that i've never had much interest in but if you're giving it your Sign of approval, your seal of approval, maybe I'll have to check it out.
1: And, and t- don't get me wrong, it, it's far from my favorite movie, and I have a lot of nostalgia attached to this because I saw it quite young, but if you want just a bizarre entertaining time, it is. it's top of the list for that. Awesome. That I will have to look into. <laughs> yes. We'll do a little triple feature. I'd, I'd, I'd rewatch those all in Is a Is there row. three
0: of those movies? Yeah,
1: man. And they do it like Die Hard style where the second one takes place like three days after the first one. And I think they do the same thing in the third one.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, it's, it,
1: it's bizarre. I, I'll watch it with you sometime. But I think that wraps us up for today's show. If you want to reach us here at Pop Culture Reference, you can hit us up on Twitter at pcr underscore podcast on instagram at pcr underscore podcast and on tiktok at pcr underscore podcast you can also shoot us an email with any comments or questions at pop reference pod at gmail.com and please drop us a rate and review i know we are like a hundred episodes deep almost and that might not be as much of a factor but we don't have too many of those. Give us a five star if you like us. That would literally make our day, truly.
0: Next week we're going to be covering I can't believe we're already here. Ghostbusters Afterlife. That is
1: an insane sentence.
0: Go on. Um a movie that seems like it's been coming out for 3 years, <laughs> straight. Uh, um, I'm excited to talk about it. Go ahead and revisit our old Ghostbusters episode that was like one of the first. Oh my god. Yeah, that was like, covered on this show. That was like it's the probably second
1: or the third episode maybe.
0: The audio quality's probably terrible. We're probably not funny at all. Oh, uh, we're just shaky little sophomores. Uh, then again, maybe you don't think we're funny now. So yeah, who
1: knows? <laughs>
0: oh, I can't um, wait. I'm, I'm gonna... looking forward to talking that with you, Seamus.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm gonna watch Ghostbusters
0: 2016 to prep. I'm probably gonna watch Ghostbusters 2 this week. I recently oh, watched the first lo- one. I love Ghostbusters 2. Uh, better late than never. That's what I say. <laughs> I love it. Oh,
1: fingers crossed this one is at least as good as Ghostbusters 2. I'll be happy
0: with that. Oh, no, Ghostbusters 2's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what I'm saying. The bar is low,
0: Garrett. All right. Um, but we will see you next week.
1: Adios, amigos.